In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 11, we'll pick it up in verse 27. And I'd like to ask you, what does it look like when you have authority issues? Now, I don't want you to point to anyone, okay? I'm not calling anyone out here, but when we talk about authority issues, it's the idea that you've got difficulty actually responding to authority. And it shows up perhaps in a variety of places. Like, for instance, uh, you've got someone you report to, your boss, and you generally know better, right? And you kind of have a lot of difficulty responding appropriately. But it shows up perhaps even with legal authorities, maybe with kids, with parents. Um, Authority issues can pop up almost anywhere, and they do. In families, you certainly see it in society, We see in culture kind of this whole rebellion of anything to do with authority, question authority, resist authority, reject authority. And I want you to know it is widespread. And we all struggle with authority issues from time to time. But let me tell you where it really shows up. Yeah, we see it in human relationships. But authority issues really show up in a person's relationship with God. I would just like to ask you as we get started here, how do you personally respond to the sovereignty of God and to the authority of Jesus? Really at the heart of so many of our problems in this life have to do with the issue of how we respond to the authority of God. And you don't have to read your Bible very long until you realize that this got started really early. All you have to do is start in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And when you get to Genesis chapter 3, you have a huge authority issue going on. God had said, listen, Adam, Eve, I want you to enjoy everything that I've given you. Enjoy one another. I want you to have meaningful work. I want you to cultivate this gland. There's just one thing. I do not want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That fruit, stay away. Guess what? Genesis chapter 3, Satan enters the scene And he has a little dialogue, a little debate with Eve. Really? (laughs) Wait a second. God told you not to eat of the fruit of that tree? Meanwhile, Adam's just standing by, kind of watching this all take place. And and, uh, Satan's like, oh, Eve. Eve, oh, sweet girl. Listen, God's holding out on you. He knows that when you eat of the fruit of that tree, well, you'll be like God. You'll be the one that knows the difference between good and evil. You will be the authority. You'll be everything that you want and everything that I want. And so she eats of it, and she passes on the fruit to Adam. And this is the entrance of sin. You want to understand why we have so many societal problems, breakdowns in relationship? It's because we have an internal condition. We are sinners by nature. And it starts, well, it goes all the way back to the garden the original authority issue. And so what makes it so marvelous, God in his grace and his infinite wisdom, his plan was to actually send his eternal son, Jesus, to enter into humanity, the incarnation, to be the personification and the demonstration of absolute sovereignty. God placed his sovereignty in such great display through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that when Jesus was on this earth 2,000 years ago during his ministry, there were a lot of people that rejoiced in his authority. 
They recognized that indeed he was the Messiah. They understood that they were sinners. They were trusting in Christ as Savior. They were rejoicing in his authority. And Jesus, in many ways, demonstrated his deity. I mean, you see his power over sin, over the powers of hell. He could cast out demons. His power over sickness, disease. Even on three different occasions, he raised someone from the dead. His ability to actually present truth, give forgiveness. I mean, his power over the forces of nature. All of this was divine display of his sovereignty as an authority. And guess what? A lot of people responded to that. They trusted him as God, as Messiah, as Savior. But not everyone. You would think like, whoa, that kind of display would evoke the response of rejoicing in his authority. But not so. There were a lot of folks that resisted. There were skeptics. But there were folks that absolutely rejected his authority. Namely, the Jewish leadership. Not all of them, but most of them. Pharisees, scribes, elders, the Sanhedrin, they wanted nothing of it. And so when you come to Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 27, I'll tell you why this is such a critical passage. This is showdown time. This is the final uh, showdown between Jesus and the Jewish leadership. This event takes place on Wednesday before the Friday where Jesus goes to the cross. And if you want to know why do some people reject the authority of Jesus, all you have to do is take a look at this passage, and it is vividly revealed. Let me give you the setting, picking up in verse 27, chapter 11. It says, They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? So here we have Jesus walking on the temple, in the temple on Wednesday. This is the, the porch of Solomon. It is the court of Gentiles. If you lack familiarity with the temple, it was absolutely marvelous. It was filled with like a forest of Corinthian columns that had this veranda. It was about, these columns were about 40 feet high. It was absolutely beautiful. It was considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was massive in size. And the, it was designed for the people of the world to come to hear about the one true living God, to hear his scriptures taught, to come to a place of worship and prayer. And it was Jesus who on this day, Truth reigned. He was explaining the scriptures. He was walking, and this was the approach of how rabbis functioned. They walked, the people gathered, and he, as, he, as he was walking, he was teaching. And so that's what we find Jesus doing. He is preaching the gospel. He is telling them of the importance of not having a superficial facade, hypocritical righteousness, you know, kind of where you're doing the performance bit, but that you have a righteousness that comes from him. He talked about sin and the need for repentance, God's justice and his grace, his mercy and his love, the absolute delight and joy to be a part of his kingdom and the need for repentance to actually receive the Messiah, a brokenness of heart. He spoke of the kingdom that is for those in the hearts of those who believe and the kingdom that is to come, his physical reigning on this earth. These are the things that Jesus had emphasized in his ministry, and it's at this point that Jesus is giving the final message 
to the gathering crowds that were around him. But even though it's estimated like thousands of people would be just surrounding Jesus, not everybody was in favor of what he had to say or who he is. Do you notice this? Verse 27. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. They were enraged and they were alarmed. The chief priests, uh, according to Jewish law, you had one high priest and he was to serve for a lifetime. But the Romans like, no, no, no. We're going to tweak that a little bit. Just to show you who's in charge, we're going to rotate the high priest around, all right? So they had multiple priests. One would serve as the, the chief high priest, and, but they'd kind of rotate around so that they would know where power would reside. Then you had the scribes, okay? And these would be mostly Pharisees. They fastidiously followed the law. And then you had the elders. Between the chief priests and the elders, this made up what is called the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, the judicial, the executive, and the legislative branch were all wrapped up into 70 men plus one high priest, and they made and called all the shots. They were the rulers, the leaders of Israel, politically, nationally, and religiously. And they had a bone to pick with Jesus. They absolutely despised him. And so we don't know if they had some sort of clandestine meeting in the middle of the night, but they were absolutely determined to get rid of Jesus. Because specifically, Jesus had made them look really bad just the day before. You remember when Jesus came to the temple just the day before, on that Tuesday, he observed and saw all that was going on. It wasn't the people of the nations of the world flocking to hear and to see and to experience the glory of the one true God, to hear his word being taught by people who actually knew him and loved him. What did Jesus observe? Well, they had turned it into a circus. They had all these money tables and they were exchanging currency and ripping people off. It was all some sort of big marketing scheme. Oh yeah, it looked really religious, but it was a facade. It wasn't true worship. And what, just like at the very beginning of his ministry, three years prior, so right here, right before he goes to the cross, he starts flipping tables, letting birds loose, scattering money, and running him off the temple. And that infuriated them. They had to come up with a way to get rid of Jesus. In fact, you can read about it in Mark chapter 11. We just a few verses prior to this event. In Mark chapter 11, verse 18, just after the event, it's written of these chief priests and the scribes. When they heard this, they began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him. For the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. And so they said, verse 28, and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? These things, certainly the, the whole cleansing and the purging of the temple. But these things, like when Jesus came, as all the people were gathered for the Passover, Jesus came riding on the full of a donkey. Remember that? And all the people would come out and they had these palm branches and they're throwing their coats before this donkey. And you know what they're calling out? Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David. The messianic title, the eternal king that reigns, that's going to reign in the line of David. They're calling that out to Jesus. These things, these things like these, these works of power and miracles. These things like your teaching, 
what, who gave you the authority to do these things? We didn't. I mean, after all, we are the governing authorities. You didn't study under any of our rabbis. You didn't go to any of our schools. Rome didn't give you any special authority. Who in the world do you think you are? Whose authority are you operating under? I mean, obviously, Jesus' miracles and his was, were just too plentiful and too obvious. And his teaching was with such authority. It just commanded your attention. You could not help but to listen. So who gave you this authority? And authority really is the issue. There are two Greek words in the New Testament used for the word translated authority. One is dunamis. It has the idea that you have power to do something. It's like the word, we get our word dynamite from it. You have the power, it's power and ability to do something. But the word that they're using here is exousia. It has the idea that you have the right or the privilege to, to demonstrate or to carry out this kind of authority. And that's what they wanted to know. By the way, this is the issue, isn't it? Jesus made it perfectly clear that he is the absolute authority. Anybody remember the Great Commission? Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. Jesus said this, after the resurrection, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority resides in me. Remember in Mark chapter uh, 2, there was a guy who was paralyzed, remember? And he had some friends, and they led him through the hole in the roof, remember? And Jesus forgave this man's sins. And they're like, oh, only God could do that. So they're all just kind of watching. And Jesus said, so that you will know that I have this kind of authority, the authority to forgive sins. This paralyzed man, I'm going to heal, and he will walk. And that's exactly what happened. Remember in Mark chapter 1, Jesus actually cast out a demon. And do you know how they responded? <gasps> what kind of teaching is this that has such authority? That is the issue. He had the authority even over the forces of hell. And so they have got to trap Jesus. They're not interested in truth. They know who he is. What they've got to do is they've got to clear him out. All of the people gathered for the Passover... Uh, Jerusalem is just absolutely overwhelmed with people that have come to worship. And Jesus is at the most center of the intention, and they are not. And that's the problem. They're interested in authority, all right. Theirs. And so they've got to trap him. And so in their special little meeting, they came up with the question that would do just that. They're going to ask him, who gave you this authority? Because if Jesus says, well, my authority comes from God himself, why, that would be putting him on the scale of God as the Messiah, because that's the works that he's doing. Those are the statements that he's making, and that is the worship he's receiving. And they're going to, you know what they're going to do? They're going to apprehend him. They will incarcerate him. And then, do you know what the penalty is, by the way, for blasphemy? Because that's what they would charge him with. Anybody know? That's right. Now, I know that people use God's name in vain all the time, right? It's just kind of standard fare for our society. But I want you to know, disregarding, disobeying, rejecting God, using his name in vain, the penalty for it, according to God, is death. And that's what they would do. They would put him to death after the Passover. But on the other hand, if Jesus said, well, 
there's some misunderstandings here. My authority actually resides within myself. Like I, uh, it's a human authority. Why they would dismiss him as a fanatic and they believed that they could turn all the crowd away. Like this is just one of these crazy guys that has these fanciful dreams about himself that he's the Messiah. And they have a great question. They think they have him. But then notice Jesus. Here it is. Man, game on. Thousands of people surrounded Jesus. Here he is being directly confronted. And they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Well, look at verse 29. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Whoa. Now, giving a counter question, that was actually pretty typical in debate. Um, This was an accepted practice. But they had no idea that Jesus, in one question, could completely flip everything around on them. Here they are. And he says, answer me. They are in what that, like that place, that proverbial rock and a hard place. They are right in the middle of it. They don't even know what to do. Here he is. He's bringing up John the Baptist of all people. I mean, John the Baptist was really popular. Jesus said he was the greatest of all prophets. John the Baptist is the one who called, through his teaching ministry, called for repentance, for a brokenness over sin, who called about, taught, spoke about God's justice and the need for repentance to identify as one who needs God because you were sinful and has nothing worthy in you. It was John in his preaching ministry of repentance that actually declared that Jesus was the Messiah. Remember that? John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, pointing to Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one. He's very popular. And these guys, they can't believe that Jesus is bringing John the Baptist up. He put them in an impossible dilemma. You know, when you think about this scene, okay, here's Jesus. He's being confronted by the the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, right? It's kind of like that show, Undercover Boss. Have you ever seen that? a long time ago, I watched a few episodes of it. Like, so what happens is, you know, I got the, the president of the company or the owner or whatever, and he kind of slips himself, inserts himself into the company somewhere um, where people don't seem to recognize him and, or her. And then, you know, and then they're like griping, like, well, you know, things are wrong around here and the management and then the leadership, the president, you know, terrible, you know, and they're kind of ripping on like, like, who do you think I am? You know, but he's taking all this. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. They got some real issues with Jesus, but I want you to know he is the absolute authority. And so we discover through their deliberations why some people reject the authority of Jesus. I'm going to give you two because that's what we find highlighted in this passage. One is the pull of pride. So Jesus asked them, hey, you just tell me, John's authority, his, his baptism, everything about his ministry, where did that come from? Heaven, meaning from God, or human? It was kind of a people deal. So, look at this, verse 31. Whew, we weren't ready for that. Verse 31, they began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? 
If we say from heaven, why, well, that's, that would mean that this is God's man, this is God's authority, but do you know what? We don't like John the Baptist. We didn't like his message. We didn't like how all the thousands and thousands of people were coming out to him and he's, he's declaring you have to have repentance and a brokenness over sin and trust God and believe this message and be baptized, immerse, baptizo, and identify with this message. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River. Furthermore, do you remember when we showed up and we were like challenging him? You remember what he called us? He called us a brood of vipers. Oh, that stung. It's true, but it's, it's stung. We don't like that. You know, the Pharisees and scribes and the Jewish leaders, when Herod Antipas apprehended John the Baptist and incarcerated him, did anyone step up for God's prophet and said, hey, you can't do that? No one in leadership did. When they took John's head as a little party favor for the birthday girl, did anybody say, absolutely, that was wrong? That is a major affront to God, and it is sin. Nope. We didn't really like him anyway. Thanks for taking care of it for us. That's kind of how they responded to that. You see, when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they would have nothing of it. Do you know why? Pride. Pride has such a powerful pull, and they rejected him. Do you know this? To reject God's prophet is, in a sense, to reject God. Because God is the one who sent him. God is the one who empowered him. He is giving God's message, and they wouldn't have it. Do you know why? Pride. They wanted to be in control. They wanted to be in charge. They wanted the accolades, and they weren't about to ready to listen to some guy dressed up in some sort of REI garb, you know, burlap, eating bugs, and sleeping outdoors all the time. They weren't going to have it. No way. You know, it's interesting. Many people responded to John's message, but the Pharisees and scribes, they didn't. In fact, you can find it recorded in Luke chapter 7, verses 29 through 30. It says, when all the people and the tax collectors, okay, we're talking like, when they say tax collectors, they're thinking like the worst of the worst, heard this, they acknowledge God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. They recognize that God is the ultimate authority, that he is the one who actually is going to have a wrath against sin, that all sin is a front to his holiness. We get it. They acknowledge God's justice. We were broken before God. We repent. But not everybody. Look at the next verse, verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, they rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. They wouldn't have it. By the way, the same is true today. God's purpose for you is that you would be broken before him to know him, to identify with him. But these Pharisees and these scribes will have nothing of it. You know, if John's ministry was divinely appointed, they should have done what John said. Repent what they would have nothing of it. You know, what it's highlighting is the real problem. The real problem isn't there is not enough evidence for me to know really where John's authority came from, or Jesus for that matter. No, the issue is pride. It's internal. It's sin. The idols of the heart are the real issue. If you really, it's all about your influence and your kingdom, your power. 
why then you're not going to want anyone stepping in your path. And that's why they would not have Jesus. Pride blinds. I mean, think of it. Pride blinds you. It clouds your thinking. It avoid, causes you to avoid truth. You start operating out of fear when you're a proud, proud individual. And you always are focused on yourself. And one of the major reasons why people do not yield and submit to the authority of Jesus is because of the pull of pride. But there is a second reason, and that is the fear of people. Look at verse 32. They're saying, really, we've got two options on this question that Jesus has asked us. Verse 32. But shall we say, well, his authority is from men? They were afraid of the people. For everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. We, we can't say that his authority came from men because everybody knows and believes that he is a real prophet. And man, they will hate us. When Luke records this event, he records that they said not only that they, rec- they, they were afraid of the crowd, they were afraid of the crowd that they would be stoned to death. They didn't just like kind of like John. They like felt compelled to believe in him and to trust him. And they said, our lives will be on the line if we say this was just some sort of human deal that John the Baptist kind of whipped up. They didn't know what to do. It's, can't you see him? It's kind of like, like family feud, you know, like let's huddle together. Like, should we say this? Should we do this? Oh, I don't know. Oh, we can't say this. They really wanted to say that John the Baptist's authority was just a human deal, but uh, that might cost them their life. So they didn't know what to do. By the way, why did Jesus bring up John the Baptist anyway? Of all the things that Jesus could bring up for a counter question, why John the Baptist? For this very important reason. God does not teach us new truth if we've rejected the truth he has already revealed. I want you to remember that. God is not going to teach you new truth if you've rejected the truth he's already revealed to you. If you're like, I don't know about that. I think I'll take a pass on that. Give me something else that I might like a little bit better. It doesn't work that way with God. You see, obedience is the means to spiritual knowledge. Do you really want to grow in your relationship with God? Do you like, you know, I, I want to know his word. Well, let me tell you where, how you do that. It's obedience. Obey and follow what God has given you. In fact, he's even given his Holy Spirit for that to be possible. But these guys, you know what? The reason, another reason why they're rejecting the authority of Jesus is they're really afraid of people. They have a fear of man. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says this, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. If you are always afraid of people, kind of like a coward, you're always like, what, what's, what do the people have to say? What's the wind of popularity? And, and, and that's what I'm going to do. And like a lot of people live like this. Polls show that we should think this. Oh, okay, that's what I'm going to think, you know? Political correctness. I mean, it just dominates our society. The fear of man is a snare, right? Just be confident in Christ. Give yourself to his authority. He who trusts in the Lord, you know what? You'll be exalted. But that's not where they're at. Mind you, these are really religious people. They come across as holier than thou, right? They, are, they know the part. They sing the songs. I mean, they're religious. They show up at all the worship services. They might even lead them. 
but their heart is not for God. And so they don't know what to do. They just can't come up with it. They're not interested in the truth. They're not interested in facts. At this point, they're interested in saving face. They're in a no-win scenario. So look at this. They said, you know what? Verse 33, answering Jesus, they said, you know, after all of our great thinking, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, hmm, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You know, the Jewish leadership had a long history of rejecting God's prophets. In fact, he's going to tell a parable. We'll see it next week about what that looked like. Just always know we don't like it. We will not have it. And so they are saying, you know what? We really don't know. And Jesus said, well, then neither am I going to tell you. You know, if they can't even figure out where John the Baptist authority came from, how in the world are they going to be the ones that are going to discern where Jesus' authority came from? You know, if this was a game of chess, this is checkmate. They're down. It's over. In fact, it is for these men. You see, a knowledge of God that does not get acted upon, nor do you respond to. You know what it leads to? A hardness of heart. For three years, Jesus has been teaching, demonstrating the love and the compassion of God. He has been doing miracles that only God could do. He's fulfilling prophecies systematically. And you know what? Their bottom line is, we reject this. You're not going to be. Our authority will not have it. You know what it leads to? If you see all these truth about Jesus and you know about him, you see his people, you hear the testimonies, but you just keep rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. I want you to know what's going on. It's a hardness of heart. And a hard heart leads to confused understanding, deafness to one's ears, blindness to one's eyes, a limitation to one's hands. That's what it does. And for these men, this is the final straw. This is checkmate. They are down. It's over. You need to know something. God has a limit to his patience. He's very patient, long-suffering. But there is a limit. And for these Pharisees, scribes, and Jewish leaders, why, for three years, they've had it presented to them with utter clarity. They knew the answers. They just didn't like it. And it is over. The light, for them, it's now going to be judicial darkness. It's just judgment to come. You see, you can come to a place where you just keep refusing, rejecting, and your heart gets harder and harder and harder. And if you will not break and repent, this Jesus who they'll put on a cross and they'll have him killed on Friday, he will rise again on Sunday, resurrected, authenticating the world that he's indeed God, Savior, Lord, and Judge. And for all those who reject him, You don't meet him as Lord and Savior. You meet him as Lord and judge. So what does it look like, though, if you actually rejoice in God's authority? I mean, we've seen what rejection looks like, but what does it look like when you rejoice in God's authority? Well, let me tell you. There is a delight in knowing and serving God. People who are rejoicing in the authority of Jesus, 
They delight in knowing and serving God. It's not like, I'm really not interested in God very much. I never really want to read the Bible. It's so boring, whatever. No, they actually delight in knowing God. When there's opportunities to serve, if you want to know, like, why do some people just, like, serve with such abandon and give themselves to this kingdom cause, let me tell you why. They're, they delight in the authority of Jesus. Let me show, tell you something else. Those who rejoice in the authority of Jesus, there's a dedication to God's word and his will. They do not want to settle for a superficial understanding. Just give me kind of a Bible verse. They, they want to know truth, and they want to be in the center of God's will. They pray that way. They're earnestly seeking. Why? Because they are delighting in the authority of Jesus. And let me give you one other trait. There's a dependence upon God's power. They recognize, hey, listen, I got a lot of failure, got some fears, lots of limitations when it comes to me, but my power doesn't reside with me. My power is in God, in his spirit, in his strength, because I'm resting in his authority. Friends, humility, truth, and God's grace allows us to delight in the authority of Jesus. And so I'd just like to ask you, how you doing with the authority of Jesus? Especially if you're here today and you've never truly trusted in Christ. Can I ask you, what's holding you back? Honestly, now that God's got your full attention, what is holding you back? Would you say that there really hasn't been adequate answers to the questions that you've asked? I talk with skeptics. That's fine to have Real questions. I can assure you that before I was a Christian, I had serious questions, some pretty big doubts. But I found that there are really good answers. There's truth to the questions that I have. Um, are you being held back because you're afraid of what trusting Jesus and his authority might look like in your life relationally? Uh, maybe in how you conduct yourself, your ethics, your morals? You're like, oh, I don't know. Man, if I, if I trust in the authority of Jesus, like he's God in my life, well, he's likely going to change those things that I even know are tearing me up. Yes, he will. Why? He's the authority. He's calling you into his love and his grace and his truth to walk in his ways and in holiness. Um, are you just kind of throwing out things like, well, I don't know about this, and I got some questions out here. Is this just kind of a mask that you wear to avoid the real issue of Jesus and his authority? The pull of pride and the fear of people, it'll hinder you from trusting in Christ. And friends, what God wants us to do is to see Jesus for who he is and to trust him with our lives. You know, the great treatise in the gospel, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, says this. Just listen to this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you really want forgiveness of sin? Do you want rescue from your life, your sin, you? It's Jesus. He'll save you. For with the mouth, with the heart... A person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him shall not be disappointed. If you will believe in Christ, rest in his authority, 
I will tell you, you will not be disappointed. But the pull of pride and the fear of people will keep you from trusting in Jesus. And know this, the direction and destiny of your life, they're determined by how you're responding to the authority of Christ. A few days ago, I was out running in my country route, and I was kind of of working through some issues in my head and thinking about some different things. And um, I was kind of just kind of plodding along here, and I, I came across this banner that was hanging on this fence, and here it is. Jesus is Lord. I mean, you can see it. It's right there on a corner. Some truck must have cut a little close there because you see some mud on there, okay? But I just kept thinking about that. That is absolutely what I need to know. That's all I need to know, that Jesus is Lord. It's not about me being smart enough to figure things out or what my next move are. What I really need to be doing is just yielding fully to the lordship of Jesus. And friends, that's what God is calling us to. Authority issue, it resides fully in him. So we should say this. We should think it. And we should pray it. Because whoever believes in him shall not be disappointed. You know, when we are trusting in the authority of Jesus, he changes it all for us, doesn't it? I mean, we see a desire to know and to serve him, a desire to follow his word and to be in his will, and it is really just a heart to be dependent upon his spirit. And this morning, we're going to commission some people, a part of our Stephen ministry, to do just that. And so for all of you who are involved in our Stephen ministry commissioning, if you want to join me on stage, and so I invite Dr. Teresa Emerson, our soul care director, and Ryan and all those who are going to be commissioned, if you want to just join me up front here on the stage, we will do that. Good morning. We are so excited to be here this morning um, to commission our new Stephen Ministers. Back in July of 2017, we had the opportunity to attend a one-week, 50-hour training, leaders training course. And during that week, we ate together, prayed together, studied together, practiced ministry skills together, listened and talked with other Christians from over 170 170 denominations. This course broadened our vision of who the church is. It broadened us to see that needs for care and to see the power of Christ at work in God's people to meet those needs. When God calls people to special ministry, he equips them to serve. Then members of their community commission them for this important new work. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus tells his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave his disciples a starting point, a place that marked the beginning of their formal ministry in his name. 
We at Fellowship carry on this biblical tradition by commissioning those who have responded to God's call to be part of Fellowship's Stephen ministry. On behalf of the Stephen leaders, I would like to thank Grant and the elders who are supporting us through prayers and finances. Now I would like to introduce to you our Stephen leader team. We are doubly blessed by our associate pastor, Ryan McCreary, who willingly attended the leader's training course and ate salads with us every day. He has been serving in all areas in support of this ministry as we launched it and trained our first Stephen ministers. I am so blessed to serve with him in the key position of referrals coordinator. We are also blessed to have Jana Vanderwood serve as a Stephen leader. Jana is a retired teacher and was first trained as a Stephen minister in another church. She has con- continued to serve as a Stephen minister and has been serving as a Stephen leader here at Fellowship for the past five years. It's evident that she has a servant's heart and brings a wealth of knowledge to our team. She is the veteran on our team. Jana is serving as our supervision coordinator and assists with promotion and training. We are also blessed to have Jane Hall serve as a Stephen leader at Fellowship. Jane is a retired nurse and also retired from serving as the national director of Nurses Christian Fellowship. Jane has a heart to walk alongside those who are hurting. And in addition to serving as a Stephen leader for the past five years, she also serves as a Stephen minister and is our continuing education coordinator. And now we are blessed, too, to have Caressa Blattman as a newly trained Stephen leader. She will be commissioned this morning um, to be a Stephen leader. She has also served as a Stephen minister for the past two years here at Fellowship. Caressa demonstrates her love of the Lord, his people, and her desire to serve by her commitment to our praise and worship team here at Fellowship. You all have listened to her beautiful voice many Sunday mornings. As a Stephen leader, she will be assisting with promotion and training by serving as our training coordinator. So you all are probably wondering exactly what is Stephen ministry. Stephen ministry has been active at Fellowship for the past five years. It's a distinctively Christ-centered, caring ministry in which our pastors, elders, and lay people work together to provide quality, one-on-one care to meet the needs of people experiencing a wide range of life circumstances or crises. Stephen ministers are trained and supervised servants who listen, support, encourage, and pray for people who are hurting. They're not counselors, they're not therapists, they're not pastors, or mental health professionals. Our Stephen ministers who are about to be commissioned have recently completed a 50-hour training course. Since 2017, we have trained 22 lay people. And with this commissioning, we will currently have 14 trained Stephen ministers serving at fellowship. 
I would like for those of you who have been previously trained as Stephen Ministers at Fellowship to please stand so that we can recognize your service. Come on, stand. There we have it. We thank you for your service. Our Stephen Ministers commit to serving for two years, but many continue to serve beyond that time. We have served over 35 care receivers in the past five years. We have come alongside those struggling with grief due to loss of a loved one, those struggling to adjust to life changes such as a terminal illness, loss of a job, or a divorce, those who are caregivers to someone with a terminal illness, those experiencing a personal crisis or supporting a family member in crisis, and those who may be experiencing a spiritual crisis or just discouragement or loneliness. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need your support. By the power of God's Spirit, as Stephen leaders and Stephen ministers, we are working together to guide and direct Stephen ministry at fellowship. Let us give thanks to God for this care ministry, for our leaders, Jana, Jane, Caressa, and Ryan, whom the Spirit has moved to become our super Stephen leaders. We also want to thank God for our current Stephen ministers who selflessly serve beyond their commitments. Please pray for the Spirit to raise up additional men and women who will continue this legacy and become our future Stephen ministers. We are the caregivers. Christ is the caregiver. Now I'm going to turn it over to Ryan. Thank you, Teresa. You know, I have the privilege this morning, this morning of announcing the names of those Stephen ministers who are being commissioned. But one thing I do want to point out, uh, as you see or hear the names, uh, these are not licensed professional counselors, as Teresa had mentioned. Uh, they're not professional staff that went to seminary. Uh, it really is a picture of the church, Ephesians 4. They are saints that we just have the opportunity to equip the saints for the work of ministry. God has put amazing gifts in each one of you. And as you look up here, you can see how those gifts, maybe not in Stephen ministry, but in other parts of the church and life that God can employ. So we're really excited to, um, to commission these saints in the faith. And then secondly, they have, uh, as Teresa mentioned too, uh, they are qualified because of the 50 hours that they've been through training, both in Word, but also incredible instruction and application. And so without further ado, uh, I would like to recognize Esmeralda Hudson and Jimmy Sue Jones and Venus Learn and Carter McBurnett, there you are, Carter, Charles Sherwin, Steve Sherwin, and Kay Strauss, who's actually, she couldn't be with us this morning, but we are commissioning her. She is up on the screen there in uh, the white shirt. So we're very excited, very proud, and encouraged this morning by our new uh, Stephen Ministers. Grant? Yeah. And before we pray, I, I want to just encourage you that if, if you ever have a time like you're going through difficulty, uh, just contact the church office so we can find out how we can best support you, encourage you. Uh, these people that are trained through the Stephen ministry are excellent at listening, encouraging, and empathizing. About half of the people that we actually uh, help through the Stephen ministry actually don't even go to Fellowship Bible Church. There's people 
in our community, and about half are in our church. And so if you would just be on the lookout, if you see someone, you're aware of someone, just contact the church office so we can try to be of help because these people are representing the love and the life of Jesus in very significant ways. In fact, if you were here last Sunday and we we had our baptisms, uh, one of the baptism testimonies uh, referred to a Stephen minister that was so critical to him coming to place his faith in Christ. So let's pray and commission them. Lord.